jump off to. Hi, this is Buddy Monlock. I'm always happy to be back in Houston and here in KPFT in the new studio. It's great to be here. I don't know how many times I've been on live here. It's, it's really fun to come in and talk with the DJs and play some songs live. I really enjoy that. So yeah, please keep listening to KPFT. It's important and they're the ones who are playing the kind of music that you love and that I love and that me and my friends make. They're kind of holding the torch for us all here. So keep listening to KPFT Houston. Oh, R&R, R&R, where are they? Dad, Dad, snap out of it. I'm calling the doctor. <laughs> Dr. Renfro's office. I need the doctor now. Okay, hold on, I'll put you through. Heal a sick, raise a dead. Dr. Renfro. Doctor, it's my husband. He's in a trance. He keeps repeating R and R. We get a lot of that. Go to your radio. Is that a new treatment? No. Tune your radio to 90.1. R&R. Reassuring and reputable. Oh, you saved my life. I dropped my radio and it went off. I feel so much better now. R&R. Two to four weekdays right here on KPFT. In that rice field in the distance, up around the bend. Howdy friends, this is Brian Blake and you're listening to KPFT Houston. Maybe. Can you hear me? <laughs> oh my gosh, you can. I can't hear me, and I that's all right, all either. for the better. Welcome to Growing Up in America on 90.1 FM. There I am, KPFT Pacifica Radio. As always, we're your favorite kids of America, hosting a discussion on children, public policy, and how we as a city and community do when it comes to taking care of all of our kids. If you haven't caught on yet, this is a production of Children at Risk, the Voice of Texas Children, a nonprofit dedicated to research, public policy, law, and collaborative action. Every week, we aim to fill these same action-packed 60 minutes with lively discussion on the children of Texas with experts on their quality of life. Of course, we have our regular segments like Thumbs Up, Thumbs Down, and Data of the Day. Claire, are you ready for our teaser number? Oh, I've been ready. It is. 75%. What's your guess? How about you go first? My guess is that is the percentage of the Taylor Swift era you will spend (laughs) in hysterics. That would be 175%. I don't know if my body or mind will be physically present. I think I'll be evaporating from pure joy. Um, My guess, I guess... Besides that, uh, my brain always goes dead with this. 75% of Texas children will be tuning in to the Taylor Swift Harris tour this weekend. All right. You heard it here first. Our our <laughs> staff as an organization focused on research <laughs> estimates 75% of Texas kids will be involved in some way in the Taylor Swift Harris tour. Call us and let us know if we're right. Other than that... Today's guests are Lindsay Wilkerson to talk about an upcoming motherhood summit, Gulshan Rahman from the Harris County Department of Education, Kathy McHorse from the United Way for Greater Austin Success by Six, and Truba Enley, Mental Health CIS. We hope you'll be with us throughout the show as we discuss the issues that are most impacting the children of Houston and Texas and beyond. First up, we'll get a little thumbs up, thumbs down. And Claire's going to sing the music for us. I should have done an Aero song. What was that? Lover. That's not. (laughs) Yes, it was. That was perfect. I don't know if we have music queued up. Can you sing Lavender Haze? Lavender Haze. We'll do Taylor Swift karaoke. Um, I guess we'll just move on. What is our thumbs up, thumbs down topic? The thumbs up, thumbs down topic is taking babies, we're talking infants, like under a year old, okay. to parades and concerts. Now, Claire, before oh. I hear your thoughts... Speaking of concerts... No, sorry, go I ahead. want to remind our listeners that we want to hear their thoughts as well. Correct. 
by just go ahead and call 713-526-5738. Press 2, and you'll get patched through the air to tell us what you think. But Claire, your thoughts. If you see an infant this weekend at Taylor Swift <laughs> Eras Tour... What are you thinking? I'm thinking their life's about to be changed. They'll develop into a liter- literary god. Um, okay. And they probably are in the most magical and overstimulating experience. I'm actually thumbs down this because okay. of, well, I feel I don't have the scientific backing, but I do have a statement that loud noises can lead to hearing problems. And that is the scientific backing. But I can be sure from even seeing the push for adults alone to carry earplugs and headphones to these concerts, just from the crowd and um, the acoustics. I cannot imagine what it does to a little child's ears. Are you still thumbs down if it's like the parents who bring the earmuffs for the, I love seeing babies in earmuffs at events. Well, it says parades and concerts. So I'm also, I grew up in Louisiana. So I'm thinking Mardi Gras. Oh. One B to the head that baby's knocked out. So that, though, like, <laughs> though I myself was a baby bundled up with headphones, probably crying, um, taking it all in in my mom's arms. And I don't think she had a good time trying to save me from being pelleted by beads. You do get some stuffed animals thrown your way. Um, but it can be overstimulating. I just don't see it being that enjoyable for that said child or whoever has to watch said child. What do you think? That's fair. I am going to say something controversial. It's okay. um, Which is that my only frame of reference for this question has to do with dogs and not children. So saying that (laughs) those two things... I think that's controversial. Well, I'm just going to compare babies to dogs and sometimes people get up in arms, okay? Dogs are babies. Here's the thing. When you have a baby dog... Mm-hmm. The best thing you can do is take, take it to Taylor to Swift. New, well, yeah, take it to Taylor Swift. Take it to new places. But like babies, I'd imagine, you have to be very mindful. Like you don't want it to go and just be super overstimulated or overwhelmed or like hurt its little ears. Mm-hmm. But it is good to like take them out to like experience stuff so that later on in life, they've like if you can acclimate as a baby later on when you're like more likely like you know how babies go through that phase where they like are scared of everything and just want to be held the whole time correct like puppies have a similar thing yeah me too (laughs) because i bet we weren't taken to enough concerts but i I mean what's the concert is it coco melon live on ice or is it right so i think there's like again the question of like is it appropriate in terms of like a setting where it makes sense to have a baby and are you taking precautions to make sure that like the baby, you know, you're not like ruining its hearing. And I think if right. you do those things, it can be good. I think especially from the perspective of like parents continuing to still be like people. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I think it is worth it if you're not being careless. Like just bring the baby so you can still go to the thing. So like right. you can continue being Keep a grown living up adult. your life. Yes. Yeah. Save sometimes money on babysitter. You can't find a babysitter. You can't find childcare. Like whatever happens. Oh, another issue. Right. And so you just have to go. So I don't know. I'm thumbs up if you're not careless but i have seen times where like you know it's nap time or it's like really late and the child Mm -hmm. is clearly like crying and upset or just like super overstimulated and like i'm thumbs down that obviously but i think it can be good to bring children along in your life as an adult instead of just like changing everything when you can like to just have everything be about them all the time but more so for like parents than like for kids you know like parents parents are good parents when they can be people yeah, and we will report back if and when we have yeah. children, if, if this opinion yeah. changes or we'll, flips. We'll call back in in hopefully 100 years when we have children. <laughs> 1,000. Um, but we can move on. Yeah, since, since everyone agrees with us and thinks we're geniuses, yes. we'll just wrap we'll, this one up. We have our next guest, Miss Lindsay Wilkerson. Lindsay, how are you? Is Lindsay here? Lindsay's there not she on is. air. Hi, Lindsay. Lindsay. Hello? Hello? Oh, oh there, there she is. Hey, girl. She was doing a dramatic entrance. She was, she was making <laughs> us wait for it. Lindsay, are you thumbs up, thumbs down, taking babies to concerts? I am... Well, I guess it depends. There's a lot of factors that are at play. Do they have um, earmuffs, like headphones? My opinion was, yeah, my opinion was thumbs up if done appropriately. Like, I don't think you should just not do it for fear of doing stuff, but you have to be like, yeah, you can't be careless about it. 
Yes, I agree. If that is the option for a thumbs up, then I am a right. thumbs up. Well, well, thank you for Lindsay tuning says in. So that makes me right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, Lindsay, I've heard through the grapevine that there's an event coming up that our listeners should tune into. Yes, we are very excited. Next Thursday on April 27th at 10 a.m. Central, Children at Risk in the Texas Family Leadership Council are hosting the Motherhood Summit. This is the second annual summit that is looking at issues, um, some of the most pressing issues facing Texas mothers today. And I know we had someone last week kind of speak more on the topics at hand, but what are some topics specifically being highlighted that you're excited to get into a deeper conversation about? I am really excited. We have a great list of speakers that are going to be talking about a wide range of issues from family planning, access and care disparities, looking at maternal mortality rates, how all of those Um, intersect. So looking at what does access and care, um, what impact does that have on maternal mortality rates? How does family planning impact maternal mortality rates? And then also looking at the expansion of Medicaid postpartum coverage to 12 months Mm -hmm. for mothers, um, and then mental health. And so again, looking at the intersectionality of these issues, they're so intertwined and If you're not looking at all of them, you know, you're missing a piece of the puzzle. Right. And I know we heard some about it last week, but if you can reiterate, how is Texas comparatively doing in these different fields of motherhood and supports? Unfortunately, Texas is not doing that great. Um, We had the report come out on maternal mortality and that's something that will be discussed during the event. Um, It did not look great for the state. Um, Also, we're really, there's been a push in this current legislative session to expand um, postpartum coverage for Medicaid to 12 months. So hopefully we see, you know, forward positive movement on that. Um, But really there needs to be a lot of improvement in terms of mental health care, the state really lags and, you know, is usually towards the last uh, of 50 in the ranking. And so we really do need to see an overall improvement to these supports and resources that help Texas mothers. And Lindsay, for people who might think they, are they hear what you're saying, but maybe on a hundred percent, what on this issue of 12 months of uh, postpartum coverage, what does that look like? Or like what, What's the current situation and what, why, do we, why do we feel so strongly about it? This is really important. A number of mothers um, to be able to have the long-term care that is needed after having a child. There's a number of issues that you could run into. There's also checkups that you would need. Um, many women suffer from postpartum depression or baby blues. And so if you don't have access to health care, that you're not being screened for some of these things, that you aren't as connected to the supports that are needed, um, not just for you, but also for your infant. And so we really just see more negative overall health outcomes when we don't see that continuation of coverage um, after birth. So, Yeah, and you talked and keep mentioning mental health, and we know that we've heard that intersects with a lot of different factors, mostly in the K-12 conversation or just children and families overall. But can you shine light on what that intersection looks like for motherhood and why it's so important that it stays part of the conversation and coverage? Well, I think there's a number of different pieces to that in terms of, like I mentioned, baby blues or postpartum depression. That's something that isn't always talked about, but a number of women experience. And so there needs to be adequate mental health supports and more information so that mothers have access to the necessary resources and tools to be able to um, move through that. And there's also the mental health impact of 
you know, access and care disparity, family planning, uh, maternal mortality, all of these things can have an impact on one's overall mental health, um, depending on your circumstances as a mother and access to resources. That can also, you know, create an additional number of challenges that you might see in raising your children um, in terms of access to supports for them as well and the impact that that can have on your mental health if you're constantly worrying or concerned about their overall well-being as well. Right. So, Lindsay, if people are hearing what you're saying and they're going, wow, that does sound like the event of the century, how can they tune in? They can register for the event on the Children at Risk website. So if you go to childrenatrisk.org backslash events, there is a link to register for the Motherhood Summit. It is free to attend. We have a number of partners across the state that are partnering with us on this fantastic event. And so we really hope to have you all there to discuss this important issue. When we're not talking about mothers, you're missing a key piece of the conversation when it comes to a child's overall well-being and future success. So this is a really important piece of that conversation. Cool. Well, I don't know about you, Claire, but I'm ready for the Motherhood Summit next Thursday, April 27th. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a conversation that needs to be held, especially as women. It's exciting to hear the conversation um, staying alive and gaining traction. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Now, before we move on, I just want to shout out the 12-month postpartum Medicaid bill that Lindsay talked about. The time's now to get involved on that as well. That is House Bill 12, filed by Representative Tony Rose, and it's going up for debate this Thursday and Friday. So if you heard all that and you were like, yes, mothers do need 12 whole months of coverage instead of the current, like, two to six, make sure you plug in, talk to your representative, and tell them to support House Bill 12, guaranteeing 12 months of coverage. And with that, Taylor Swift. We are moving on to our next guest. We have, is it Gulshan Rahman? Yes. Gulshan Rahman is the Assistant Director of Compliance and Family Services with the Harris County Department of Education. We are so excited to have you on here today. How is your week going as the school year wraps up? It is going really well. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, as we roll towards the end of the school year, we're very busy getting everything tied up and then starting to prepare already for the summer and what's coming ahead. Yes. And then, so we have you on here specifically to talk about um, some more protocols and concerns around health and safety in our Head Start and Early Head Start programs. Can you first just give some background of what that might look like now, how the pandemic might have affected and shifted protocols and what is kind of gearing up for the new year? Sure. Um, So yes, as we were going through COVID, we had to make quite a few changes to adjust because the health and safety of our staff and our students is always the very first concern. And so that meant things like thinking about how we're going to do pick up and drop off. It meant thinking about where are we going to get all the funds to buy supplies for masks and gloves and Um, You know, we did get COVID relief funds from the government, and we used that to get all the supplies that we needed. We had some challenges getting things like infrared thermometers and gloves because everybody was looking for the same thing at the same time. And we spent a lot of time figuring out how to, first we had to figure out how to deliver services to our students and families since in person we weren't sure how to navigate that right at first. We did virtual And then we moved back to in-person services because we know the importance of our families being able to go back to to work to get their paychecks to support their families. So now we are back 100% in-person. The new rule from the Office of Head Start is that all Head Start programs have to have a COVID-19 mitigation plan. And what that means is that we've been given um, the freedom to determine 
protocols for our own specific areas and what works best for our communities. And we did that in conjunction with our Health Services Advisory Committee. So specifically for our program, what we're doing is we're operating with a level, we're going with a green, yellow, red type of system, and we'll go from one level to the next based on the number of COVID-19 cases that we may have in a time frame. And one of our indicators for where we're going to be is how the county is doing. And so right now, because the county is at green and we haven't had any COVID, positive COVID-19 cases in just a little bit, we're all at level green. So we're trying to move back towards practices um, that, that are more like what we were doing before COVID. So more freedom to come and go within the campuses and relaxing the, the use of masks if people still want to wear them, it's optional, but it's not mandatory right now. Yeah, I mean, that's all awesome, and it's so good to hear how thorough y'all were. And I'm sure it's been a bit of relief for us to, you know, knock on wood, be in, in a green um, zone countywide. For people who maybe aren't as sure, you know, Head Start, early Head Start kind of obviously gets compared or is in many ways a child care preschool program, but I know y'all do so much more. So I'd love to hear just for our listeners who aren't as familiar, what, in addition to caring for young children, what other services you guys provide for them and their families? I'm so excited to talk about Head Start because I think it's such an impactful program and I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk to all our listeners about it. It is really a school readiness program. So I think when you say Head Start, to the wider community, I think a lot of people think, oh, it's just daycare, but like you said, it's so much more. Uh, we have qualified teachers in the classroom. We have a requirement for having two staff in every classroom. You're going to see a lower student-to-staff ratio. We have research-based curriculum. Uh, for families, it's, it's no cost for services because you have to qualify to be in the program. We provide breakfast, lunch, and snack, and we make sure those are healthy meals that are low in sugar, low in sodium, low in fat. We do developmental and sensory screenings, and if we detect anything out of the ordinary, our next step is to connect the student and the family to their primary care provider or a specialist, as is appropriate. And then another thing that's really great about Head Start is it's not just about the child. It's about the whole child and the whole family. So we're providing family support services. And that may look like if a parent is interested in going back to school to further their education, or we have a parent who doesn't have strong English language skills and they want to go to an ESL class, that we're working with them to set goals to accomplish what they're trying to do to, bet, to improve their family situation. And also we have many community partnerships that help us do what we want to do. The Health Services, Health Services Advisory Committee is a great example of that. So it's bringing together people in different sectors of the health services arena, so dentists, pediatricians, health insurance companies, to come and join and learn what we're doing about in our program and advise us on what a good course of action may be for something that we're working on. Yeah, that's incredible. Just looking, like you said, hearing all that, hearing not only holistic supports for these children, but outreach to the families is so, so important when you look at the difference between a Head Start program versus just your common child care curriculum. Yes, it is. And, you know, the thing I think that people don't hear about often is the success stories. Um, you know, we have plenty of reports and annual reports, and Congress looks at what we do because we're authorized by Congress. Um, but if you can meet a family and hear the story or see the progress that they make, for example, we have plenty of examples of you know, people who started out as a parent in the program but then became a volunteer, then became a staff member, and eventually worked their way up to being the supervisor of a campus. Um, we even have NFL football players. We have legislators. So Head Start children go on to do wonderful things in the world. Yeah, we actually did um, a survey, I guess now a year or two years ago, um, specifically looking at Head Start, and so many parents, I mean, just had only, honestly, pretty much great things to say. And so many of what mattered to them wasn't, you know, necessarily the classroom learning while that's important and, you know, having a place to, to send their kid while they were working or doing other things. But so many of them, you know, just had life-changing experiences being able to access, you know, speech therapy or other, you know, behavior intervention, 
food programs and all of that. Um, which kind of leads me to my next question, which it's okay if you don't necessarily have a great answer, but my understanding is that compared to other places, Texas kind of notoriously does not use Head Start as much as maybe it could. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on maybe why Head Start, early Head Start programs aren't as popular in Texas as they are in other places across the country. Um, well, I think one reason is because of the different competitions that exists in the community. So there's Head Start, but you also have school districts starting to take, you have pre-K programs and then programs that are starting to take three-year-olds as well. Um, <clears throat> and also because I think, again, a lot of people in the community don't necessarily know the difference between childcare or what Head Start is. Um, in, in Texas itself, I would say that um, like many services that are helpful to the public um, don't get quite as much support as they should or spotlight as they should, we may fall into the same category in that way. But you can definitely see from the number of slots that we have available to serve children and families, we're looking to serve children and families because we're not full. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that said, do you know off the top of your head, like, about how many children or families y'all serve in Harris County? Um, off the top of my head, I do not know. I can tell you that um, if we were full, my program alone would serve um, almost 1,300 students, wow. and we're just one of um, five in Harris County. So we do serve a pretty large population. Yeah, no kidding. Um, if we have a parent listening who feels like they might be a good fit for Head Start but maybe haven't plugged in yet, what is the easiest way for them to connect with their nearest program? Um, you can call 713-672-9343, and that is the phone number to our main Head Start line, and we will help you figure out um, which Head Start program you belong to based on where you live. So that's probably the fastest way. Another way is if you have access to the Internet, you can go to Harris County Department of Education's website, which is HCDE, um, yeah, Harris County Department of Education. I believe it's hcde-texas.org. That's terrible. I don't know mine off the top of my head. But Head Start is on the main page, and you can click on that, and you can do an application online or also use the locator to find the program that belongs to you. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on and for telling us about your programs. I'm personally a huge fan of, of the Head Start system, and so I'm hoping, you know, maybe we got a few families aware today who didn't already know um, of all of the services y'all could be offering. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Have a good one. We have our favorite guest of the week every week, and that's why we give her Beyonce before. It is Layla here to tell us about the number of the day. Are you here, Layla? Hi, y'all. Oh. I'm so grateful to be brought into Beyonce as well. I know. We, we did have Taylor Swift bring in our guest before, and of course we appreciate all of our guests, but Beyonce is coming too, and she's a Houston native. <laughs> well, maybe one day we'll get her on the show. I, yeah, I know. Wow. We're emailing her every day until if she's listening yeah. right now. Beyonce? Beyonce. Is Beyonce in the room Maybe with we're right playing now? while she's <laughs> rehearsing for her tour day and night. But Layla, I don't know if you heard our guesses. They were close. They were pretty close for 75%. Yeah. But we are excited to hear the true data point that this number coincides with. So 75%, it's pretty alarming. Um, so it's estimated that about 75% of children across the country do not receive vaccines at the recommended time, mm -hmm. uh, meaning a, a significant number of children are under-vaccinated. So just confirming, that would mean Claire was wrong with her guess of the percentage <laughs> of Texas children that will be involved in some way in the Taylor Swift era's tour. Correct. <laughs> Although maybe maybe seventy five percent is that number too, but in this instance, good guess, but not quite. It might have been close. It still affects children, <laughs> and I do believe she could help them get vaccinated. Layla, I think we might know the answer, but why or when was this decline really seen? Has this always been 
a consistent data point or do you, it doesn't have to be exact, but do you think that the pandemic had an effect on the spike of this number? If it did spike? Yes, definitely. So immunization delinquency rates for kindergarten students have increased um, right around the time of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Four vaccines now have delinquency rates over 3%. um, And the rates for conscientious exceptions, Excuse me. Exemptions <laughs> have also increased um, from 2021 to 2022 um, by about a half a point. Um, so conscientious exemptions are now hovering between two and two and a half percent. That is it's scary. And we know vaccines are important in protecting. But what exactly can this number mean? Why? Why are vaccines important? Well, vaccines are important because they create herd immunity and, you know, prevent the spread of infectious diseases. So diseases that are no longer a problem in the global north in the U.S., like polio, are because of vaccines. Um, And so when not enough children are vaccinated, it puts especially medically fragile children at risk um, of these diseases. Um, And it's really important that we protect our most medically fragile children or children who are too young to receive vaccines. There's a lot of different reasons why children aren't vaccinated, and so children who can be vaccinated need to be to protect those children. Um, and, you know, it really just drives forward the importance of receiving quality information and mm-hmm. access to medical care, um, which we know Texas leads the country in, un- in uninsured children. Um, and it really just kind of hits that point home. Um, we also have an upcoming, this is a good opportunity for a plug, um, our, our peer-reviewed journal that we put out, one of two, the Journal for Applied Research on Children is currently working on a special issue on healthcare misinformation. Um, so I'll be sure to plug that as it's released as well. That will have some articles that kind of explore this issue. Yeah. To your point, Layla, you mentioned there are a lot of reasons that children can't get vaccinated or why it's not safe for them to do so. So when we're talking about these low rates... Um, and conscientious exemption. That is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about those children for whom it's not safe. Who are we talking about? Or what what situations might we be talking about? We're talking about children on the recommended vaccine schedule. So children who are due to be vaccinated who are not. Um, So that means children who are of the correct age who are on a schedule to receive certain vaccines at a certain time. So like people who just like don't show up or maybe like a non-medical exemption? So, yeah, conscientious exemptions are, are going to be uh, for religious purposes, um, whatever. It's, it's about personal, personal decision-making. Um, that will be defined as a conscientious exemption. Yeah, it's, it's scary to hear. Sorry, I'm just taking in all of the data because um, I just remember it being a child and it's very norm. The school would update you frequently, and I went to a religious school and um, – it was just a norm that you got your vaccinations. And so seeing more resistance for whatever reason it may be um, is worrisome just for that herd immunity need. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are listening, we encourage you to check because it could just be a lack of knowledge, a lack of translating. (laughs) I know I worked for a school with 2000 students and one nurse. So sometimes it really is just trying to track it down. Parents are unaware. So we encourage you to just check your child's updated vaccination records what they need what they don't have what they're due for Um, and we thank you so much Layla for joining us today do you have any final words um that that's it if you can get get vaccinated get your kids vaccinated (laughs) sorry I didn't need to to put you on a campaign to have your final words (laughs) thanks guys thanks Layla bye We are moving to our next guest. We're actually a little early, but we have Shrubba Enley on the line with us with Communities and Schools. How are you doing today, Shrubba? We are so excited to have you back on our show. Yes, it's great to be back. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. So you serve as the Director of Mental Health and Wellness for Communities and Schools, um, which in general, for those that didn't listen last time, didn't have the opportunity, can you give a short explanation of what Communities and Schools does? 
Sure. Communities and Schools of Houston. We're an educational nonprofit. We are in 173 school campuses, six school districts across the greater Houston area. And on each of these campuses, we have one full-time, sometimes more than one, CIS staff member or student support specialist um, on each of these campuses to meet uh, needs, everything from basic needs to mental health services and uh, connecting students and families with much-needed community resources. That is awesome. And for this conversation, last time we kind of kept it more general, um, and this can be that as well, but we want to talk about the end of the year. A few things. One, just the pressure students might be feeling, and then Mm -hmm. even the worry that they or their family might be feeling of summer supports and not having what communities and schools might have been able to offer them through the school year. Yes, uh, there is a lot of momentum and energy this time of year as we're almost approaching the end of April and beginning May, uh, which is, for most school districts, uh, end of May is is, uh, also the end of the school year. Right now, there's also STAR testing going on, so that sometimes, you know, uh, because we work with students from pre-K and we are on college campuses, but in those secondary schools uh, where... Uh, they're testing, there is like a peak in anxiety and just a lot of, um, I mean, I remember from my time when I was working uh, as a student support specialist on a campus, right around this testing time is where a lot of energy just gets pent up and then mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, a lot of, you know, sometimes there's fights on school campuses or children are, or students are having like panic kind of feeling the day before the testing. So our staff uh, often gets referrals, and so we work with students um, just to kind of develop some coping skills and stress management skills for the testing piece. And then before you know it, testing is over. Mm-hmm. And we're also for, you know, for the mental health services piece, we do start early uh, if we're working with someone and providing the supportive counseling for a student on campus. We start thinking way ahead of April and May and working with the uh, parent or guardian on a plan for the summer. So if they need more support through the summer, we're going to work on connecting them with uh, mental health organizations, providers in the community, and kind of bridging that uh, support so that they are not uh, left without it in the summer. And, you know, we also work a lot with mental health Uh, agencies and bringing the services to the school. So if they're working with any of those clinicians, sometimes within that relationship, they're able to transition to office-based counseling. And uh, the other piece of preparing for summer is we want to make sure our students have access to enrichment programs like camps and the museums and libraries. Uh, And so just you know, getting the information to students and families that those kinds of opportunities exist. And then we also are preparing our students, especially the juniors and seniors in high school, for internships at law firms, nursing internships. Just this morning, I was, uh, we're members of the Network of Behavioral Health Providers, and Mm -hmm. so I uh, was going to help with the interviews. We're interviewing high school and college students because we've got a behavioral workforce shortage nationwide, and we're trying to uh, just increase awareness of professions in the behavioral health, mental health uh, space. And so we're offering internships uh, through the NBHP organizations for students across the city. That's awesome. And I'm so glad to hear, you know, that you guys are so proactive with your students who, you know, are receiving care and who might, you know, need that over the summer. I would also Mm -hmm. imagine that for students who maybe don't necessarily require services during the school year, that the summer, you know, breaking routine, a lot of stuff changing, Mm -hmm. being home can be kind of a stressful time. I'd love to hear if that's consistent with what you guys see. And if so, you know, for parents or community members out there, who might have, you know, students in their lives, what could they be doing, you know, during the summer? What should they be looking out for over the summer to help students who might be struggling? Yes, that's a good point. You know, we go from a pretty structured routine for the last 10 months, and then suddenly summer hits. And, you know, as much as it is important to unwind and have some uh, downtime, it is important to keep some structure in the day, like regular as, you know, a little bit modified, of obviously, with sleep times and waking times and 
Um, also ensuring that if you have a child or a young person in your home and then they have more free time, how are they managing their time with devices like right. their phone, with uh iPads, whatever they have access to, so that there's not too much screen time and that they are having time to get some fresh air and in-person time with their friends. Yeah, that's really important. And I, I'm pivoting a little bit because um, we're going to go back, but I know we talk a lot about the behavioral and mental supports or mental health supports that communities and schools provide. And um, I think generally we do point a lot to those individualized supports, but communities mm-hmm. and schools do do school-wide and targeted programs. So I was going to ask yeah. if you can shine a light on those during the school year and if those continue mm-hmm. on in the summer. So in the summer, it, it you know, most of the campuses that we serve, June, if there are students on campus, they are on campus for summer school. And so we are more of a walk-in service during the month of June so mm-hmm. that if there is something, you know, that a student or family needs support on, our staff is located um, during the time that the school is open through the month of June. Uh, so we don't just go away in June. We're still there. Um, and and if there is, like, a more, um, like, we do have partnerships with places like Remind and NAMI, uh, Houston, and so trying to get them connected if they do need more support during the summer. And if not, like, uh, for example, I think you're talking about just our school-wide activities. You know, next week is also Mental Health Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our uh, student support specialists on the campus are doing activities to raise awareness uh, about what are just simple kinds of coping skills like mindfulness practices. We have people who go in, like, and do 10-minute presentations in certain uh, classes on, you know, box breathing and uh, establishing some healthy habits. And so we are kind of working on that all year round, on student well-being so that they do have some skills to take with them through the summer or build on the skills they already have and and reinforce that. I have a a mobile mental health specialist on our team, and she was uh, sharing with us yesterday how she writes letters to each student that she's worked with during the year, and she summarizes all of the, uh, like, coping skills and healthy habits that they've talked about through Mm -hmm. the year puts it in that letter and, you know, has like words of gratitude. And so they go home with that uh, so that they can kind of have it as a reminder as well. I love that. And then again, a pivot, but since you're in schools, I'm sure you can shine a light on it, but thinking not only of the students, but teachers and admin at this point of the year, just from hearing or conversations with colleagues that are in the classroom, they are pushing a point of burnout and stress, and they feel very overwhelmed when it comes around testing. What would you recommend that teachers and leaders take their summer to do if it's both sides, personal wellness, um, to reroute back to the classroom, and then in conjunction, how to also facilitate a class that might be stressed or um, just going into a new school year? What are some practices they can maintain? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's a great question. And we ever since the pandemic, we were seeing more of our colleagues mm-hmm. that are the teachers and school administrators reaching out to our teams on the campuses for uh, support. Yeah. And so, you know, within our boundaries, because they are our colleagues, we, you know, it's, it depends on what kind of level of distress an administrator or teacher could be feeling. Mm-hmm. Luckily, every school district that we're in has EAP programs, employee assistant programs. So those are like no cost at all. There is no copay required. And, and they have access to their EAP programs. And then if they do want to utilize their health insurance to uh, have someone to kind of uh, have the supportive counseling outside of school, those are options. And then um, it's and, and there are some really neat programs uh, that we that I and my uh, role have met with, like where they're teaching like yoga and mindfulness practices that you can incorporate into your classroom. So then it works for the teacher in the classroom and their students as well. So there's neat curriculums. I think uh, Houston Independent School District, I met one of the social workers there, and that they do have a partnership or curriculum like that that they're using on uh, a few of their campuses. So different strategies like like 
those can really help uh, school districts take care of their staff as well. Shruba, thanks so much for that and for all of the wisdom, both about, you know, Mm -hmm. the challenges that might be more relevant to us in the policy space and Mm -hmm. also those great tips for our parents, Mm -hmm. community members, and schools. Thanks so much for the work you're doing and for coming back to share it with us on the radio show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Have a good one. The stars at night are big and bright Deep in the heart of Texas All right. Our next and final guest, last but certainly not least, is Kathy McCorse from Success by Six out of the United Way for Greater Austin. Kathy, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? We're good. We're so excited to talk about Success by Six and what y'all are doing. Um, If you could, on that note, just start off with just a little description of what exactly Success by Six is. Absolutely. Um, Success by Six is a community-wide coalition in Austin, Travis County, that is made up of parents, providers, policymakers, philanthropists, and other folks from the community who are committed to a vision of our community, um, ensuring that all children have access to high-quality early childhood services so that they can enter kindergarten, happy, healthy, and ready to succeed in school and in life. And um, we, we operate a collective impact model and carry out a strategic plan for our community in four different pillars of work, um, healthy beginnings, supported families, quality care and education, and safe and stimulating communities. So I'd imagine, like me, when a lot of people hear you talk about these like early life services. A lot of us are picturing child care, which obviously I know is an important part of Yale's work, and I'm sure we'll have something to chat about it, but I'd love to hear outside of child care maybe those like less known of services and, and parts of what y'all are helping families find access to. Absolutely. Well, in, in Texas, we have a very fragmented and siloed um, ecosystem in early childhood, but if we think about it, we kind of think in You know, in Austin, there are about 40 babies born every day, and we want to have a system. Our vision is a system in our community that connects with families either before the birth of a child or at the birth of a child and um, offers supports and resources for those families until they enter school and how do we connect um, the different kinds of services and support. So we start under Healthy Beginnings with um thinking about access to prenatal and perinatal services, healthy moms have healthy babies. We operate in partnership with the public health department, Family Connects, which is a universal newborn home visiting program. We're in two hospitals now and meet with moms soon after delivery and just check in and notice what, what needs do they have, what referrals could we help connect them with. It. And almost every mom has some kind of need for for support or connection at that time. So that's um, one of our areas of work. Um, And we also pull together um, a collective of programs that provide evidence-based home visiting or parent support services, and we call it the Family Support Network, and and we help bring together all those organizations in a room to really share with one another, connect, and and think about how do we um, distribute access to those kinds of resources across the community so we're not maybe competing in one zip code but having empty, you know, unfilled need in another zip code. So really leveraging the um, collective power of organizations working hand-in-hand. Right, and that's awesome and really is where the as our director would say, secret sauce is, um, is doing that community collaboration. But thinking we understand with a lot of our systems, we see these opportunity gaps in the challenges that face families. Can you talk a little bit about some of these gaps that exist and in conjunction just overall challenges that are facing Texas families right now? Oh, yeah. Well, affordability is a, is a big piece in Austin. And so, um, you know, being able to not only find out what your what supports 
are available, but, you know, what could you potentially be eligible for identifying that and then kind of navigating those eligibility processes, the uh, opportunities to enroll, waiting lists, um, just navigating all of the information is a big issue. And then, of course, we see families who are just struggling to have their basic needs met. Um, housing, transportation are big ones. And then even things like language access, um, access to diapers. Um, we saw a big impact from the, the formula shortage. Yeah. And then within our services, just having a workforce um, to work for the organizations that are providing those services has become more challenging. Yeah. Just looking through some of the work y'all do, a lot of, or one of your main focuses is creating safe and stimulating communities, which is interesting to me. Um, kind of going off of it, I was in a conversation about school communities and just how when you hear safety, you think very locked in and locked up, when in reality, yeah. when you create a community and you create that environment, then you're in turn creating safety when you're um, kind of building that with one another. So what are some priorities that you do as an organization to encourage a safe and stimulating community for children to grow up in? So we're trying to raise awareness broadly at the community level about the importance of early childhood brain development and what a critical period that is and ensuring that um, wherever families go or want to spend time in the community, that that space is equipped to meet the needs of families with very young children. Um, that may be as simple as, you know, our city having an initiative to have diaper changing um, tables in all restrooms, not just women's restrooms, right. um, having a, a nursing space uh, for new moms. And we've been really leaning into working with employers and hosting the um, Best Place for Working Parents initiative as a community effort. So how are employers really thinking about the needs of those families, um, of their employees during those really vulnerable early years when they're, they're tired, um, they're experiencing new things as a family, and they're trying to navigate that work, that uh, work-life balance. For sure. I mean, that's also important. And it's so exciting to hear about work like yours that is so all-encompassing and really is building communities with communities. Um, to pivot a little bit, as you're our last guest, we always ask what we call our five fun questions. So if you don't mind, we have some, some fun questions to wrap up today's show. The first of which is when you were a kid, you can pick kind of whatever age speaks to you. What was your favorite book either to read or have read to you? It's always the hardest um, question. Know, I, I know, so many. Um, I will have to say, I have a book. I still have it. Um, my husband found a new copy of it. It's called Mimi the Merry-Go-Round Cat. Hmm. And um, it's just about a cat that lived at a, at a park. Um, but uh, for some reason, I can just picture it and then almost recite it. <laughs> um, it's a young kid's picture book. Awesome. It sounds like the cat's in a safe and stimulating community. <laughs> yes. yes. And, and the milkman brought her milk. <laughs> I don't know it, if they have really milkman anywhere anymore. No, it, but <laughs> well, I'm, I'm old, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Never. The second question is, besides, obviously, the at United Way for Greater Austin, what did you want to be growing up? I always wanted to be a special education teacher. Um, I, yeah, from the time I read the story of Helen Keller, that was, I was going to be a teacher from the get-go. That well, is a great a answer. answer. <laughs> I feel like we get like the big dreamers. Yeah, I was not that thoughtful as a child. No, me either. <laughs> now, this is maybe my favorite question. When they make the Kathy McHorse story on whatever channel you'd want your movie to premiere, who would play you? Oh, Wow. Um, okay, this is going to sound crazy because I'm old, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and say Anne Hathaway. That's also my answer. I'll be honest. We'd have to show oh. your whole life. So at some point, you'd be Anne Hathaway age. I would be at one point long ago. <laughs> Sometime in the film. All right, on the film, on the film train, last two questions. Do you have a comfort movie, TV show, or book? And if so, what is it? Oh, so many. Um, 
I do love to watch the movie Bull Durham. I'm a huge baseball fan, and I love Kevin Costner. I don't think I've seen that one. So I, I have a lot of movies and books to read or watch and read. And then our last question. Comfort. It's just my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, we've had some non-comforting comfort TV shows told us before in movies. Um, but our last question and kind of a light note is who motivates you in your life? Oh, honestly, I, I think right now in my world, it's, um, it's those folks in the community that I work with on a daily basis who are doing the work of our coalition. So the, the teachers, the child care center directors, the, the other program, home visitors, those folks that are out there boots on the ground working with families day in and day out. That is awesome. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for what you do for our families day in and day out. And we hope to have you back on the show. And thanks for answering our thanks silly so questions. <laughs> Have a good I one. Thanks for the opportunity. Bye-bye. Bye. Lauren, I think we've, I'm trying to think of it. Come to the end of our show. We have sparks Claire, have flown. I was trying to think of a Taylor Swift. One. <laughs> I couldn't. Sparks have flown. Um, today was a fairy tale. You can speak now. <laughs> well, and I'd like you to speak now on what was your favorite, your, your most memorable tidbit from today's show. Um, all of it. I, I'm always so informed and excited to hear from our speakers past our events or just opportunities and meetings. It's just so nice to bring light. And we hope our listeners that might have just tuned in to hear two gals on their Wednesday afternoon. I do want to mention, we want to thank you all for joining. We are moving up. We are now at are. 12 o'clock. Starting so- next week. Yeah, so one o'clock is scratched. You can yeah. still tune in, but you will you miss these us. heavenly voices you if you if you tune in. Then, so we want to turn our clocks up to twelve during our lunch breaks. Rearrange your calendar. Mm-hmm. Put your headphones in on your way to lunch. Listen to us then, right live after here. Midnight's the album. Yes. We would recommend we do, we pair best with a side of Taylor Swift. <laughs> no, no favorite just, album, like, which might not be Midnight's. Mine is not Midnight's. Mine isn't either. But thank you all so much for listening. We are with Children at Risk. If you are curious at all about any of these organizations, do feel free to go to KPFT dot org to re-listen and catch where they were from or you can always go to our website children at risk dot org which is also where you can sign up for, for the motherhood event. summit yes and deep dig, dig deeper i cannot speak today into the conversations we had with our guests thanks as always see you next week at noon i hopped up the plane at lax with a dream my cardigan welcome to the land of fame access am i gonna fit in Jumped in the cab, here I am for the first time Look to my right and I see the Hollywood sign This is all so crazy Everybody seems so famous My tummy's turning and I'm feeling kinda homesick Too much pressure and I'm nervous Cause when the taxi man turned on the radio And the Jay-Z song was on And the Jay-Z song was on And the Jay-Z song was on So I put my head in my taxi cab everybody's looking at me now like who's that chick that's rocking kicks she gotta be from out of town so hard with my girls not around me